Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. Today we hear a sermon from Reverend John about the soul of heaven and hell. It's also Pi Day, where we celebrate being public, intentional, and explicit about being an affirming church. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. Will you pray with me? Spirit, as we gather this day, some of us are feeling like they are in hell, discouraged, sad, suffering, lonely, and others feel like they're walking in heaven. New beginnings, new opportunities, peace, love. Whether we are in hell or in heaven, we give thanks for your presence in both. Be among us that we might hear the right word for the living of our days. Amen. If we were in the sanctuary and gathered here uh, at Hillhurst, I would ask this question out loud and look for an answer. I wonder if you know the name Roland Stewart. Roland Stewart. And there would be a prize for you if you could stand up and say, this is who Roland Stewart is. I'm convinced that everyone knows who Roland Stewart is, but perhaps not his name. Roland Stewart, I discovered this week, is the originator of the John 3.16, the guy that is always standing in the end zone at football games, John 3.16, or behind the net at hockey games, John 3.16, or the one who was actually at the foot of the audience after Prince Charles and Diana were married, John 3.16. Roland Stewart is a man in the 1970s and 80s who was the the Christian who wanted everybody to know John 3.16. God so loved the world that he sent his only son into the world that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life, John 3.16. Well, the story of Roland Stewart gets a little tragic because as he traveled for some 60,000 miles around the U.S. and around the world, to hold up John 3.16, he went a little bit off and ended up being uh, charged with kidnapping, uh, with bombings, and became a threat to society. And so now he's in jail in Los Angeles serving three life sentences. But Roland Stewart was one who was compelled as a Christian to share this message, God so loved the world, John 3.16. I'm quite... uh, curious as I thought about this, what is it about this message? And how did this message of love get turned into a message of judgment? I'm going to be a Bible geek for a few minutes and walk you through this one line of scripture and help you perhaps see how that possibly could have happened. It begins with God so loved the world. Did you hear that? God so loved the world. God so loved the world, all of the world, all people, all religions, all parts of the planet. God so loved the world, it begins. It's not about exclusion, but God so loved the whole world. Then you move through the passage and it says, sent his son so that we could believe in him. Now, that's a, a challenging word because belief uh, sometimes means opinion. This is what I think. I believe this. And I love the word faith because it means trust and a deep-seated trust. But nonetheless, I did the work on this passage, belief and trust or love could be inserted here. So it could actually read, 
God sent God's Son into the world that we might love in him. This is a whole ministry of Jesus is about pointing to God what God is like, telling people stories about what God looks like. And so through stories and parables and, and scripture passages, he's inviting people to get a glimpse, a snapshot of what God looks like. Imagine that the whole ministry of Jesus is about showing us what God looks like and what love looks like. And then if you move along, you'll see the passage, it will gain eternal life. Now we often move this to quickly if we, okay, if we follow Jesus, then we're going to get a good seat in heaven. But what this passage really is about is not about afterlife, but about experiencing the fullness of God right here, right now. Eternal life is not a post-life experience, a reward. It is rather the experience of the presence of God now in the fullness. And so this whole passage is inviting us to know that God loves the world. Therefore, we are called to love. If you want to know what God looks like for Christians, you look to Jesus and what Jesus said and did, who he hung out with, what he called to be the most important, which was love and compassion toward our enemies and our friends and our family. And that uh, to fully experience God is to be in the now, in the present, in the moment. Eternal life now is what we're called to. Marcus Borg writes, he says, John in this verse is not about believing a set of statements about Jesus now for the sake of heaven later, but it's about beloving Jesus. It's about beloving Jesus and beloving God as known in Jesus in the incarnation in the flesh and entering into the life of the age to come now. It's not about people going to hell because they don't believe. It's about the path into life life now, God now. So how is it this passage, John 3.16, Roland Stewart held up, suddenly becomes the passage to judge each and every other person? How is it this passage of love becomes a passage of hate and judgment? This week and this day is Pi Day, where the LGBTQ community invite us to be public and intentional and explicit about belonging, about love, about compassion, one for the other. And the video that came out this past week, What the Hell, is a glimpse of various people across the country talking about love and talking about inclusion. And some of the stories tell people that that they were told because they were gay, they're going to hell. How is it that we can choose, A, who can go where? It is God's world the world God's love and all belong. I know people who've been told that when they got divorced that their family members said they're going to hell because they got divorced. I know some people have told me who are non-Christian that they were told by Christians that they were going to hell because they didn't believe in Jesus. How is it that humanity is so warped and judgmental and hateful that we talk about a lake of fire for those who do not believe as us? It's so sad. Some days I want to throw in the towel and say, I don't want to be associated with Christianity when the Christianity they see so often is so hateful and hurtful toward others. But how is it that this passage has come to be such a passage about hell and heaven? It makes me to continue to be geek number two as we look at this passage and 
and come to discover that there is so much in the Bible that is misunderstood, misinterpreted, and we need to dive a little bit deeper, if you can hang with me, to understand how this works. One of the things I discovered early on in ministry was I wanted to understand the origins of heaven and hell. And I discovered 30 years ago that the whole evolution of hell has evolved in Scripture. That is, in your Bible, hell and the understanding of hell has evolved with time. Back in the 8th century BC, the early, early Jewish people believed when you died, you died. There was no reward, no punishment. People just descended to a place called Sheol, the place of the dead. It's quoted in Psalm 139, one of my favorites. If I descend to heaven, you are there. If I descend to Sheol, you are there. Isn't that beautiful? Whether you, whether you think you're up or whether you think you're down in a three-tiered universe, God is present in both places. There's no escaping God in life or in death. And then later on in the scriptures, the phrase gets turned to the, to the phrase, hell is translated to be Gehenna. And so when you were in Gehenna, you were, you were basically in the city dump. Jesus says, life without God is like being in Gehenna. It's a city dump just outside the walls of Jerusalem. And it depends who the writer is. You see, Mark and Luke only once mention Gehenna. John never. Matthew, he's obsessed with hell. He's got a bit of an anger issue, you might say. 80 times he uses the word Gehenna in his scripture because he's trying to convince people to be moved from the Jewish faith to the Christian faith, and the best way to do it is to invite this. If you don't do it, you're going to Gehenna. You see, even human beings back then were about this kind of judgment, and Matthew was one of them. They call Matthew's gospel the gospel of judgment. But really what Jesus was saying when when, when we don't have a sense of God or the spirits, experience of the sacred, it's like living in a city dump. That makes sense to me. Theologians later will say that hell is separation from God. That is when we feel separated, cut off from our purpose or from the core or from the sacred. It feels as though we are in the dump. Christianity, my friends, has really never been about heaven and hell. It's been about this world, and yet we're known to be about heaven and hell. Somehow people have kidnapped Jesus and kidnapped the theology that is deeply rooted in our scripture to make it about heaven and hell when Jesus was clearly about life and this planet. I would see Jesus saying, look, heaven's in good shape and you got a ticket, here it is, but what are you going to do in this life? with this world. And that's what this text calls us to, to experience eternal life, to experience heaven now on earth. You know, when I think about this story for me, I think about hell and, and the natural human nature to think about hell as a place that perhaps you and I wish some people would go, who among us hasn't said, go to hell to somebody, wishing that they would go to the dump, that they would get out of our way who among us hasn't wished that certain people who have harmed others violently, uh, abusively, wouldn't go to hell and roast in hell forever? What is it about us that wants others to be punished and others to be rewarded? 
Who do you wish would go to hell? Don't put that in the chat room. But who among us has not said, go to hell, or wished that the other person would suffer? When I think about hell, I say hell is real as all get out because I've experienced it. When have you experienced hell, a sense of being cut off, a sense of loss of meaning, a sense of loneliness or sorrow or sadness? When I thought about this and began to play myself, I thought about, I remember, I remember the day that uh, was the first night that I would not go home to my kids. My, my ex-wife and I had separated and she was having the ch children one week and I would have them the next. The, the first night that I wasn't going back to my home, I remember going up McLeod Trail, which is an image of hell for me, by the way, especially in November. But it gets worse going up McLeod Trail. And where did I do? I pulled into a McDonald's. For me, McDonald's can be that picture, if you will. But here I was, alone, and sad, eating by myself in a McDonald's. And I'll never forget that November night, that cold November night, being separated from the ones I loved on that night, a lonely man in McDonald's. It was hell. That was hell. Or I thought about as I moved through those months through divorce of, of sleeping in a friend's basement. I told you this story before, of sleeping in a friend's basement and waking up in the night and climbing up the stairs and going into Paul's bedroom. Paul Lung, who sang at the church here, you know Paul, the guitarist. I remember him laying in his bed and I walked into his bedroom and I just stood at the side of his bed and I watched him sleep. And I stood there and he woke up and he said, what the hell are you doing? And I said, Paul, I am so lonely right now. I am so sad right now. Can I just curl up here, right here beside you on the floor? That was one of the depths of my loneliness, cut off, hellish places of, of feeling that and, and wanting just to be near someone so I didn't feel so alone. Just this week, I, I had a friend say on the day that his father died that his mother said, when will this hell end? You see, we all experience hell at different ways and different kinds and different times. We know that cut-off, meaningless, lonely, sorrowful place that's part of our life. And so I say to you, hell is a human experience indeed. One of you experienced hell. Maybe you're in hell right now. Some people have said COVID is hell. But when have you experienced hell in your life? I believe we all experience hell. But what about heaven? If we're going to have this image of hell, we also have to hold together, together the image of heaven. I could talk for hours about this, but a few stories that, that hopefully influence and invite you to consider and imagine heaven. When I think about heaven, I immediately thought about the phrase you'll often hear at Christian funerals. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? It was in the 90s when, again, I was a bit of a Bible geek and I had to delve into this passage that I discovered something truly amazing. It happened because Howard and Jean in my congregation at Deer Park 
were, were flying to Scotland to a family reunion. They got on the plane and they flew to Scotland. They got off the plane and they were met by police officers who said to them, we have to tell you that someone in your family has died. You must get back on that plane and fly back to Toronto. And so they got back on the plane and flew back across the Atlantic, unaware who had died in their family, what had gone on. Can you imagine that kind of flight? And then returning home and to hear that their son, Andrew, had died in a car accident in British Columbia. Andrew was someone who liked racing cars. He wasn't on a racetrack, but he was on a road and he got in an accident and he died. As I began to plan for that funeral, I looked at this biblical passage and I learned something I'll never ever forget. In my father's house or in my father's mansion, the Greek etymology is this. Mansion is many definitions, but one of the words to describe it is pit stop. I couldn't believe it. In my father's pit stop, I have come to prepare a place for you. I will never forget the day that I preached at that funeral and looking out at, at his father, at Howard, and saying, this text says that life beyond death is like a pit stop. Howard's eyes popped out of his head and tears ran down his cheeks and a smile came across his face to imagine that his son who has died has gone to a pit stop and will move on. You see, that's the value of digging deeper into these passages. A mansion isn't a house in the sky, but in this case, a pit stop, a place of healing, a place of renewal, and a place of moving on. Heaven as a place of moving on makes great sense to me. Sometimes people who have died and gone before us come to us in our sleep. I met with a woman just a couple of weeks ago to plan a funeral. And I told her, I had told her that she should pay attention to her dreams. When we met to plan the service, she said, I got to tell you, John, I, last night I had a dream and my, my dad who had died had come to me in my dream and said to me, we're going on a walk, come with me. And they walked together and they got to a fork in the road. And the father said to her, I've got to go this road. You go that road, but we will meet up again. She wept as she told us this story, but, but I believe that God, through that dream, her dad came and said, I will walk with you again. In my own life, my dad died 15 years ago, and this past year I had a dream with, where he came to me in the dream, and he just walked past me in the dream, and he said, I'm proud of you. Do you know how long I waited to hear my dad say those words to me, I'm proud of you? I believe that people who have died come to us in our dreams and speak the messages we need to hear. Pay attention to your dreams. And in the words of our indigenous community, all my relations, in that phrase, they remind us that all are present to us. Those yet born, those who have died and gone before us, present to us, all my relations. Biblically, it comes to me in Paul's writing, who also didn't talk about heaven and hell, by the way, but in this beautiful passage used at weddings, now I see in a mirror dimly, but then I shall see fully face, face to face. Now I am known in part, but then I shall be fully known. Paul in this writing talks about that division, and for me, 
I believe that in death we are fully known. In death we fully see. And I love that sense of completion and awareness that the mystery of God provides for us in the hope and promise of life beyond death. Call me weird or strange, but I believe and trust in the mystery of life beyond death for all people, for all of creation, for God so loved the world. Here's the last thing I want to say, and it's an image. And maybe, maybe the rest of what I said may not stick with you, but I hope this does. There's a story, and I don't know where it came from, about, about this person who has died, and they, they make it to the gate of heaven. And God says, well, I want to show you because you're going to have a choice between hell or heaven. And the man is like, oh, my goodness. And so, so they begin their walking, and they walk along, and they're walking down this hall, and, and they come to a door, and just outside the door, they can hear this weeping and crying. And God says to them, open this door, and you see what hell looks like. And so they open the door, and there at this huge banquet feast is a diversity of people, every age and color, shape and size, sitting at the table at this beautiful mound of food and, and drinks, a beautiful banquet, but their arms are locked like this. They cannot move. And they're weeping because they can't get to the table. And they're just weeping and crying. They can't get there to feast and to enjoy. And God closes the door and says, now I'll show you what heaven looks like. And they walk further down the road and they come to a door and God says, open the door. And so he opens the door and there you see the same feast, the same people, the same diversity. And here they are at the table laughing and singing and eating and drinking and their arms are locked too. But what they have figured out is that if they pick up their fork, they can feed the person across the table from them and they can enjoy the feast if they serve and feed their neighbor. That to me is what heaven is, where we are able to feed and nourish at the table, all serving one another. That's heaven, the awareness that we are connected. They are my brother, my sister. I will feed my brother and sister, and we will experience heaven together. So friends, today, as we on Pi Day celebrate the invitation to belonging, to loving and compassion, may you and I know we are loved, forgiven, and set free. And may you know that we're invited to be people who bring heaven into the world. May we, by our hands, feet, and voice, and fully living our heart, Bring heaven alive this day and always. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.